Welcome to Follow Your Fire, a podcast on life, work, and purpose. Join us as we reckon with the questions, what should I do with my life? Do I have a purpose? And if so, how the heck do I figure it out? We'll hear some real stories, get some real ideas about how to find purpose, and have as much fun as we can along the way. I'm Melissa Pinnell, life coach, purpose guide, and your host on this journey. I am so glad to have you along. Hey everybody, Melissa here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of The Resilience Diaries. It's just a temporary offshoot of the regular Follow Your Fire podcast. So if you're listening when this episode is released, you know it's early May of 2020 and the world is continuing to grapple with the current situation at hand, which is basically we're still knee deep in the coronavirus pandemic and quarantine and all that that entails. And the thing is, we're just in a new world. We're in a changed world. And rather than list all of the ways that it's changed, because even I don't know that yet, most of us don't, I just want to remind us that we humans have dealt with a lot of change before. The human race is really adaptive and has dealt with really big and challenging changes and crises. And it's hard to remember that when we face them personally or they're happening in the present, like right now. But this short-term resilience series is on how people deal with things that many would deem a crisis or tragedy and how they came out the other side intact and dare I say even more deeply human and in touch with all that it means to be alive. My next guest, Cindy Solis, is truly the embodiment of what I just said. And I'm not being dramatic when I say She's seriously one of the people I most admire in real life, and I've just been so inspired by her, and I think you'll know why by the end of the episode, but let me give you a little bit of background. I know Cindy from childhood. Our families were friends. My brother and her sons played baseball together. Her daughter, Vanessa, and I were super close, and her oldest son was actually our manny, a male nanny, before that term even existed, as far as I know. He would watch us when my mom worked nights and she and my mom were friends and the Solises were just one of those families whose house was interchangeable with ours. If you ever had a house like that, you know what I mean? There's just this closeness and familiarity when you spend so much time playing truth or dare or farting on each other's pillows late at night, (laughs) the things you do when you're 10 and it's midnight, they were one of those families for us. So even though we were all super tight as kids, the Solises moved away, which broke my childhood heart, but we still kept in touch the way you do when you're growing up and a teenager and, you know, life is happening. So the years go by and social media was born and I realized I could use it to search out people I had previously known and loved. And we're talking really early social media days. This is my space. So I decided to look for Vanessa, Cindy's daughter, because I just wanted to reconnect with her. We'd seen each other a couple times as adults, but I just wanted to see how she was doing. And I found her on MySpace and I sent her a message and she just looked like this really beautiful, effervescent hippie chick that she just looked cool. And I just wanted to know her again. So I sent her a message and reached out and I didn't hear back. And I decided to go back to our page. I think it was the next week. And I looked closer this time 
at her profile and I realized that I had missed something really important on her page. And that was that it was a memorial page. She had died the year before that in 2006. I found out soon after when I connected with her family, it had been a motorcycle accident. So she'd been 20 and she was gone. And I'm gonna share that her death hit me pretty hard for someone who had been out of her life at that time. I was just really shaken by the unfairness of it. I mean, she'd only been 20, she'd been so full of life and potential, and it just felt like, you know, why hadn't she been allowed to live? Why? Why had she died? And when you ask that question, why? It's a really loaded question, and it's really easy to come up very empty-handed and bitter. And even as someone on the fringe of her life, finding out that it had ended so prematurely just rocked my world and made me realize just how little is guaranteed in life. So her death was really rattling for me, but this is not my story of loss that we're going to tell. This story that we're going to hear is actually that of her mom's, Cindy Solis, a woman who has been through what one might consider one of the most difficult things you can go through, which is losing her child, her only daughter. And she didn't curl into herself and disappear. So though she acknowledges the enormity of a still present grief, she also acknowledges just how grateful she is for all that Vanessa's life and death gave her and her family and so many of us that loved her. And it's been in watching how Cindy and her family and Vanessa's loved ones responded to Vanessa's death that truly transformed me just in the periphery and allowed me to see that Yes, life can be tragic and unfair. And yes, those same circumstances of life can also be beautiful and transformative. And one person being taken from the earth at a really young age can have this ripple effect that's still being felt today, right here and now, 14 years after her laugh last echoed out on a field by the ocean. Cindy's story of losing her daughter and then going through life is one of tragedy, but also hope and inspiration and magic. And ultimately, I offer it as a possibility to anyone out there who may have lost someone or something dear to them. Anyone who might suffer a loss or sudden change that is so big and so difficult that you wonder how you will ever get through. And you guys, for those of us lucky enough to live any length of time on this earth, that's all of us. This story is for all of us humans that have and will lose everything dear to us. This story is for all of us humans who still want to love and cherish and experience life and each other anyway. And lastly, this episode is dedicated to Vanessa Butterfly Dawn Solis. May her free bird spirit live on through all of us and continue to ripple through time, space, and the brightest stars in the night sky. Here you go. Cindy, I have to tell you, I was a little bit nervous today. And, and I, I don't, not that I don't get nervous. I'm pretty honest about the fact that I totally do. I'm sort of anxious. But just because I do hold you in such high regard, and I hold this particular story and your daughter 
in such a special place that I feel very honored sounds a little bit cheesy, but seriously, I feel very honored. Like I have this kind of fragile, beautiful story that I want to do justice and respect. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and just for allowing me and us to zoom in on this part of your journey in, I think I have a few objectives, part of which I've already explained. One is I think we're in this really difficult moment in time, especially for some people who are actually experiencing consequences or crisis. And I also think that just in general, being human is, is difficult. I think a lot of the uh, problems or issues that I'm seeing right now are always present for us, but they're exacerbated. We're kind of staring at them and being confronted with them. And I know that that's sort of why I've always looked to stories like yours, like others, as solace. And by stories like yours, I mean an example of someone who has been through a lot of wonderful and a lot of really difficult things and, and persisted and landed on the other side intact. I want you to tell your story. So what I'm going to do is guide us back to this particular moment in your journey that I would like to illuminate in order for us all to honor and learn from. And that is the passing of my friends and your daughter, Vanessa Dawn Solis, at the age of 20 in 2006. And I, what I would like to do if we could start is just before that, if you could share with me, with us, what was life like in early 2006? I had just gone back to college after not being in college since I was 23 years old. And it was a dream of mine. And Vanessa and her boyfriend at the time were just coming back from Florida. They had lived in Florida for a while. And so I was really excited to have Vanessa back in my life close by. And so I was able to, to get Vanessa to take some classes with me that second semester, that spring semester and in 2006. So we were taking some classes together. That um, was so much fun. And she said, mom, let's take every Wednesday to be mother daughter day because we were on the campus together at the same time. We thought, why not just do this? And so she, she's, she initiated that, which was so cool because six months before she passed, she told me, she started telling me over and over and her boyfriend that somebody in our family was going to die. And she was so afraid it was going to be me or her dad. So she started wanting to be as close as she could to us. And this was something so funny because Vanessa always couldn't wait to leave home. She just couldn't wait to go out in the world. And now she had come home. She, she was wanting to be close to me and her dad every time she could. And my, and her dad and I had you know already split up. But every time her dad came in town, she'd stop everything to be with him and talk with him for hours. And so she made every appointment, every chance she could, she made an appointment like to be with me, like to take, you know, classes with me, to have mother-daughter time. She started writing me and her dad letters how much she loved us. She made me jewelry, beautiful jewelry. Um, she just was showering me with gifts that last six months. And she told her boyfriend that maybe, you know, on Mother's Day, she said, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be me. She said, but somebody in our family is going to die. She said, maybe it's me. She just, she just kept feeling this coming through. 
and I didn't know what to think about that when she'd say those things because I didn't know how psychic she was or, you know, where she was getting this from, but she definitely was feeling something. So it w- she and her boyfriend decided to, to split up, and so she moved back home with me the week before she died. She, and so I had a whole week with her. It was so wonderful. We'd stay up into the evening talking and talking, and we'd have smoothies on our porch every morning together. And it was just a whole week of being together. It was so wonderful and so thankful for it. So thankful for the last six months we had having sp- getting to spend together. And yeah, and then 10 days before um, she passed, we were at my son Jordan's um, eighth grade graduation. And so she, t- and her dad was there and I was there and she told us that she'd had this amazing experience with God. And she was on her balcony at Koala's house and, and was crying and asking God for a sign that he loved her. And she said, he, and she said, could I have a shooting star? And then she said, he took the brightest star in the sky and went slow motion through the whole sky. And she just felt, she felt like that was such a message of God's love for her. And she just became in a state of peace I'd never seen her in before. She was in this totally different state. And she told her, her other friends, she says, God is my true love. And I know she was trying to figure out who her true love in life was. And she decided that it was God. And she said, I know it's God. And I just want to be with God. And it was bewildering because I was never used to seeing her like this. But she was so happy. And she was just in this other realm. It's interesting that her sign from God was a shooting star. Because that's the, maybe that's why that analogy just came into my mind. Just this like shooting burst of you know, you said so much empathy and just aliveness and maybe just the full feeling of humanness that might come when you have this sense of mortality, which it sounds like she had had in the months prior to her death. And if we could go to that day, because I do want to do, to pay due diligence to the, the way it felt, you know, as best you can back then. We are talking you know, 14 years later with perspective and what did it feel like for you? What exactly happened? You know, I know that we all know she was on a motorcycle. She was with Reed, who was a long-term friend of the family. I remember even growing up with Reed because you guys were such good friends with, um, with that family that we would inevitably all be together sometimes. And, um, yeah. So if you could just tell us the story of what happened that day, as you remember it. That morning, we got a phone call from Reed, and Jordan knocked on Vanessa's door and said, Reed's on the phone for you. And so she got up, and then she told me that Reed's going to come up from Sacramento. We were living in Sebastopol, and he's going to come up. He wants to show us his new motorcycle. And then Vanessa told me, she says, Mom, I, I almost wish it wasn't today because she says, I'm so tired. She says, I had such strange dreams all night she goes I I just want to believe the dreams I had they were just so strange and then we didn't get time to talk about her dreams so I wish we had and then um anyway so I got ready to go to work and I went to work at Whole Foods and then Reed when Reed came in town he and Vanessa came over to Whole Foods to get a sandwich before they went on their motorcycle trip and and I waved, I thought, oh my gosh, I saw her in the back of the motorcycle. I thought, that's like a rocket. Like if, if they were to crash into something, she would go flying into the air like a rocket. 
was like, wow. But I waved goodbye to them as they drove off. They were going to take just a little trip to the coast and back. That's all. It was just a little loop. And I was happy for her because I, she'd never been on a motorcycle. And Reed told me later that that day she was, she said she was felt like she was flying. She says, I have to buy one of these motorcycles. She says, this is the most wonderful experience of my life. And she was so happy. She always liked the thought of flying. And that motorcycle made her feel like she was flying. So then I heard these ambulances go by at Whole Foods and I didn't think anything about it because I didn't, never would think it was my, my child. And it was about 8.30 that night that I got a call from, first I listened to a message on my phone and it was Reed's dad saying, oh, Reed was in a motorcycle accident. Um, nothing, nothing serious. So that's all we've heard. We're on their way. We're on the way there. Um, from Sacramento, we'll be up there. And I thought, oh dear. But he said it was nothing serious, maybe just a small crash. And and then I thought, well, that's weird. And then I knew that Vanessa had plans to go with her girlfriend, Rachel, to this concert in the Bay Area, and she was going to pick her up, Vanessa, up at five o'clock. So I thought Vanessa was long gone to this concert. And the next thing I know is Bobby calls me, and he's in Vacaville. And his voice cracked. Like he just couldn't say what he had to say. And for some reason, my, my, my whole brain connected it all. And I knew. And I just collapsed on the floor. And I just couldn't stop sobbing. And that's a hard, it's a hard moment for anybody to lose a loved one. It's those moments are really, really rough. And you just feel like, you just, Feel like the whole world has just collapsed and there's there's nothing there's nothing that'll let me lift you up again you just feel like oh my gosh my whole world is crashed and anyway um so he and then he didn't even get the word out you just knew and by the way bobby is uh vanessa's dad i just wanted to touch on that so okay. bobby calls and voice cracks and you just knew right then somehow I put it I put it all together motorcycle you know she was with Reed motorcycle and then all of a sudden the way Bobby talked he said Cindy I I have something to ter terrible to tell you or something and I just knew somehow it just all connected to my brain really fast I had no premonition though it was so weird because I had no premonition that day of anything bad happening I was very happy that day I just felt you know very like really good and there was no premonition on my part at all. And, and the thing is, I was the last one to find out because Vanessa had a fake ID with her. So they contacted her cousin in Vacaville and I, they went to her cousin's house thinking that's where that was the girl who died. And her cousin answered the door and they said, well, this girl has died. And she says, well, I'm that girl. And then they had to figure out who she really was. Wow. She was, she just lived right around the corner from her from her grandma and Bobby was there. And so they went over there and they were trying to figure out. And then she remembered the police said something about Reed and she knew that Vanessa was going to read that day. So she put it together and they all put it together and figured it out. And so I was the last one to find out, but um, it was just still, it was just such a, then I heard that Reed was in the hospital here in Santa Rosa and Karen and Mike were on their way up. I didn't know how seriously he was hurt, but I, I thought, well, I got myself together because I thought, well, at least, you know, I, I can be with them and maybe Reed will survive, you know. And so we all, um, Jordan and, and I, and I think Koala, we all went to the hospital and stood by Karen and Mike as 
read was between life and death. And so it was pretty rough. And I, I didn't even realize after that just how much they suffered with Reed in the hospital with all his operations and his pain and suffering and their own hearts. You know, one thing I learned in sorrows like this is that everybody is so inward with their own grief. It's really hard to see outside of that towards someone else around you. And I I know I looked at my sons were suffering so much, um, each one in their own different ways. And everybody was suffering in some way with this painful loss. And it's, it's such a personal journey. And you want so much someone to kind of come into you, your space with you and hold you in that space. But everybody is going through their own grief. So it's kind of a really lonely area to be in. So it's, even though you're all, you all miss this person and you're all together, it's still a very lonely internal agony in a sense. If we could stop there, I think you just said something really important. And I just want to give space to that, that the grief of this uh, tragedy with Vanessa, and and just to fill in anyone who doesn't know this, um, Cindy has four other kids, four boys, and a fairly big family. I don't want to speak out of turn, but even if we're talking about people like Reed's family that you were really close with that was obviously very much entwined in what was happening. So there's that uh, support, you might say. And I just, I think it's so important to realize that even if you're going through the same thing, right, you might be missing different, she played different roles in your life, but it is this very unique human wrestle with darkness that is individual and isn't from what I heard, it's not necessarily lightened or comparable by having other people. It's something we all sort of have to turn to within ourselves. So I just think that that's a really interesting point and one that I think applies in so many different parts of life. So, so your daughter just passed. You are obviously um, bereaved is like the word that's coming to me. You're trying when you said you went to the hospital with Kuala, her um, significant other at the time, I know that they were like temporarily broken up. Uh, and Bobby, it sounds like her dad. Were you going to be there for for Reed's parents? Were you just wanting to be around loved ones? Uh, what was what was going through your mind at that moment? Well, it felt really good to go to the hospital to do something because. I didn't know how to be alone with this grief. I didn't know how to be alone with this terrible, terrible sorrow. And Mike and Karen Reed's parents felt like they kept saying they're so sorry that it, like it was their fault. And I said, no, you know, I don't, you don't have to tell me you're sorry. You know, I mean, you didn't, you didn't do anything, you know, and um, there was, I just wanted to be with them. I just wanted, we were all in this together. We were all in this loss together. And I wanted to be with them, but I realized when we were there, like at the hospital, we were together, but we were all internally suffering in our own little world of suffering. And, and that was a really hard thing to be in, in a sense, all by yourself. (laughs) But as I went through the week, well, what happened was, um, when I saw her on the visitation night, that's when everything turned around for me. I was so afraid to see her because I didn't think I could handle it. 
But when I saw her, her countenance looked so happy that it just took away all my like really strong grief. And I just exchanged it for her happiness. And the day that it happened on the motorcycle accident and the coroner found her, he said, he'd never seen anyone with such a happy look on her face. He said, he said, truly, he says, she was so, she looked so happy. And she was in a kind of a position of praying almost. She was kneeling on the ground almost um, in a prayerful position. And so that was really comforting to me because you just don't want your child to suffer. You don't want your child to be unhappy. You don't want them to have a terrible moment. And the other thing that was interesting was the, the truck that they hit, the lady that was in the truck said that she kept hearing Vanessa laughing in the air. She just kept hearing laughter. And she knew that there was a, another person in the accident because at first they couldn't find Vanessa. They just found, they just found Reed, you know, and because his body hit the truck, but Vanessa was thrown way out into the field. Um, and so they didn't know there was another person, but the lady in the truck said, oh no, there's a, there's a, there's a girl I heard, I heard her laughing and laughing. And Reed even said he heard her laughing too. So I feel like her laughter was just in the air around the whole thing. She was so happy. <laughs> so even though it sounds like a tragedy, the whole thing, and it's tragic to lose someone you love on this earth. It's for the person left behind. It's very hard to, you know, maneuver through that. But for the person who left, it's usually a very beautiful, joyful thing. So it helped me to see that, to, to know that she was really happy, you know, that she got her wish. She got to go home to be with God. Yeah. And then I was able to come out of my own suffering and then start looking around to see who I could help with their suffering and help them see the better side of it. That Vanessa's really where she wants to be. She's actually really happy where she's at. Yeah, yeah. And as you talk about seeing her and, and the smile that was on her face and recognizing as her mother, as someone who had, you know, raised her her entire life and spent a lot of time with her in the, the days and you know, just time leading up to her death, someone that could uniquely perspective take the perspective of you know she had been talking about God is my true love, talking about this premonition. So it sounds like you were able to sort of tie in some pretty recent experiences, and you mentioned wanting to be there for other people. And though I know you were all alone in your suffering, you know, Cindy, you're a mom, and you have four other kids and other people, and. So when you talk about wanting to be there for other people and kind of taking all of that pain and transferring it into how can I support others, what did that look like for you? It was, it was really relieving because the, the pain and the sorrow that I first experienced was just too big. It was, it was just too big for me, really. <laughs> I think it's too big for anybody, kind of. So um, I was so relieved to just find to find a way to, you know, I told you before, there was this grace, you know, this grace that picked me up and carried me through that week. And that grace, I was able then to, it carried me. So I was able to help carry others too, my, my, my boys and, and other people who came and to try to comfort them that it was really okay. Vanessa was really where she wanted to be. And when Kuala put together her funeral, because he had all of her journals, 
I had never read her journals. He hadn't either, but he started reading and he took excerpts from her when she was a teenager all the way up to her present time. And he showed her metamorphosis, how her thoughts changed and how her, you know, her transition was. And it was just so beautiful. And it just meant so much to me. It meant the world to me to see that, that she had gone through this whole change and she got, I got to experience that while she lived on the earth. Um, so speaking of the metamorphosis and the ways that you were able to kind of look at, you know, how to use this grace, Cindy, if you could, when, when my mom passed away, I talked to you on the phone and I was very much grieving in the way that you described, not the same kind of grief, but that very lonely, you know, no one ultimately shares the relationship with someone else that you do, whoever they are in your life. But we all, if we lose someone that we really love, know that pain that, like you said, is too big. But you, and, and I always say this, um, loss is loss. I also think it could be argued one of the most difficult losses one could face is the loss of a child. And when I talked to you on the phone right after my mom had passed and you shared with me how you dove into your grief and were met with grace, it really helped me in that moment. So if you could revisit that right now, I would, I would be so grateful. Okay. Um, you know, grief just has an end. Like it, it does keep surfacing whenever this grief would surface again, which it does still, it, it brings me down all the way to the, I have to sob it out again, all the way to the ground. I kind of like have to, I let myself feel it. I let myself feel sorry for myself, I, for my loss. I let myself feel everything it wants to feel. And then when I'm down there at the very bottom, there's just that grace that, that gives you that other perspective that, and it lifts me back up. It just lifts me right back up and I'm all able to go forward again. And it's with mixed in with that is it's just the knowledge that that life is precious and we we have gifts of these people in our lives for however much time we can have them. And but they they're actually on the other side like cheering us on to go forward and to just not take it not take life for granted anymore and but just to but just to to give all your you can with your heart in this life, you know. And but there's that grace that just picks you up each time. And I don't think it ever gets totally easier. I mean, time has really helped a lot as far as taking the really strong edge off of the loss. But that same, that same grief will come up again over and over at times you don't even expect it. It'll be right under the surface and you won't even know it till something just pings you over the edge and then you realize you're in a bunch of tears again and you're feeling every emotion again. But then I know from experience that that grace is always going to lift me back up and it's not, I'm not going to just sink with it. I always, you know, at first you feel like you're going to sink in a hole and you're never going to come out of that hole. You just don't know if you'll ever emerge again. And, but you do, <laughs> you do emerge. Yeah. I don't know why that particular metaphor helps me so much. And I have revisited it so many times because grief doesn't, end. And that can sound really scary if someone has, you know, a fresh loss or a new fresh loss. The fact of life is that we will all likely lose multiple people if we get the grace of living to an old age. And 
there was something comforting to me, and there still is, about this idea that if we think of grief and heartache and pain as a literal well that we're just tumbling down, and it's almost like we're ricocheting off the sides, and we didn't realize it still hurt this much, and here's a new ache, and you know, this imagined future that's not here, and all the places that I know my head can go, that if we do something that's so important that you mentioned, which is just allow ourselves to just keep falling, and whatever that looks like, sobbing for me, usually that is the outward manifestation, that we don't keep going. And it's like, as I say that, it's so obvious, right? Like, we, of course, you don't keep sobbing. It's kind of like a baby when they're having a tantrum. Eventually, they tire themselves out. But there's something else, something magical in that, where when we allow all of that pain to just envelop us, we are also allowed all of that grace. And that just meant so much to me when you shared it with me then. I think it's especially timely in, you know, telling the story of Vanessa and just telling the story of life, the, the heartache that all of us, like I said, inevitably will face over and over if we're lucky enough to get to live. And not just lucky enough to get to live, but willing to continue to love. Because when you've experienced great heartache, I think it could also be tempting to guard your heart. And just in the effort to um, continue to kind of go on the arc of this story with you. So, you know, we've talked about the jolt of that news and that, you know, early days when you didn't know what was going to happen with Reed. And, and just to touch on that, if you could just briefly share, Reed, who had been driving the motorcycle, has a bunch of operations. It sounds like he was dancing between two worlds for a while there. But if you could share with us um, what happened with Reed. Well, his bones were all sticking out of his body. Not all of his bones, of course, but he had slammed his body into the truck and was laying there with bones sticking out. And they didn't think he would live. They, they took him by helicopter to, you know, Santa Rosa Memorial. And he had all these operations to put big, big, long pins in his legs and arms. But Reed came out, Reed came out also out so much better. And all kinds of things like Koala would go visit him in the hospital. He wanted to be the one to tell him Vanessa had died. He wanted to help read through it. And all these things that were just amazing to me that, that were so full of love and kindness. And her, her brothers, like, like Jed, like he said, he wrote this paper about how Vanessa, her passing helped lift him out of his insecurities and helped him go forward into confidence because that's what she always wanted him to have. And she actually launched a lot of her loved ones into a different way of living at work Vanessa where I was working she'd hung out with some of the young girls I was working with and they said that their life was ever forever changed because the way she was affected them so much and you just see how one life can change so many people and it so those were so many there's so many lessons from a passing it's just incredible and I know you with your mother when you talk about her emergency room years as a nurse, how she touched so many lives and she had this great sense of humor and I'm sure she brought so much joy to so many people. And for you to keep hearing these stories and to, that just, you know, ministers to you forever that a life that was part of your life would continue to give on and on and on. And it just, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so moved when I think about even someone like me who, 
you know, like I said, I hadn't even been in touch with Vanessa for a while, but retroactively after she passed, I remember how it affected Jet because Jet and I reconnected not long after that. And I remember seeing a change, like an obvious change in him, one that I still see in his life. But it's such a beautiful thing to see the ways in which her passing emboldened him and focused him. And, and so I bring that up because it happened to me by proxy, someone that wasn't even in her life at that moment, someone that hadn't even reconnected with her family until a year later. And, and that distant, if we, and I, I bring this up because I do think I do this. I think a lot of us do this where we think we are so in, insignificant or worry that we will be when we're not here to actively embody these skin suits that can actually like take action and worry that we, you know, might not have mattered. Or even like, you know, I recently wrote about my mom. She didn't think she mattered. And I accidentally inherited that belief of, well, I don't know. I mean, I remember her, but what about when I'm gone? What if, what if we don't matter? And it helps me to shine a light on the ripple effects from your daughter who passed, you know, 14 years ago, that there have been so many moments where I have thought, you know, with the luck that I have been bestowed to still be here when someone like Vanessa isn't, why should I not go for this thing? Why not, you know, do this? Uh, often it's things that are kind of scary or vulnerable or be brave. And like I said, I know Jed talks about that and does that. I remember him sharing what he read at her funeral with me because he realized I hadn't been able to be there since I'd not been in her life at that moment. And just being um, so blown away at the beauty that I saw in, in all of you that were up close to this, you know, I'm going to put air quotes up tragedy, which it was, it's, it's loss is hard. We like our humans to stay with us, especially as a parent now, Cindy, I think becoming a parent, as you know, it, it's almost like you relive all these other parts of your life because now I look at them through the lens of, oh my gosh, like, you know, as I'm holding my sweet little baby, I imagine like, this is what every parent who's ever lost a child has also done. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. I am now so afraid. I don't want to live life in fear, which is why, Cindy, that's why I, I'm drawn to you. I'm drawn to stories like yours because it, it is the most profound love, that between a parent and child, and just love is so profound. And with as deeply as we love, how deeply we at loss and I'm totally going off on tangents. Um, but another thing I wanted to ask is, you know, after that happened and we're seeing this beauty that came from this pain. And I guess if we could go back to you in the months after her passing, how did you think life was going to change? Or maybe even more recently, like she, she's just passed away. I think I'll just say that for me, part of my grief was when my mom died, just because that's my closest loss, wasn't all, it wasn't all in the moment. A lot of it was knowing what I would now not have. You know, how, what about if I have kids? What about if I go to college, which I hadn't even done at that point? What about, it's like the future is gone. And so with that, when you lost her, what, how did you think your life was going to be affected in the future? Well, I remember the near future after that, because she died in June, but when the fall came and I saw the, the trees lose their leaves and the wind was blowing the leaves away, it was almost like 
I felt like the earth was going to blow away the memory of Vanessa that she lived that year and she was so alive. And now it was just erasing her from <laughs> the earth. And I, I was really freaking out kind of about it. You know, there's just these moments we go through, especially the first couple of years that are just, um, they just catch us unaware. And I also realized that I worked with a lot of really cool people at work, but when one person would get up and quit and, and leave, I realized that I was atta my attachments were so much stronger, like, oh no, don't go. So I, need, I needed that person in my life because that person was part of the loving heart of my heart. And now they're gone. And, and just, I was, I realized I was holding on to people so much more. Like I didn't like change. I didn't want things to just go away. Um, and I had to come to grips with change. And, and it's, it's been a process, a, a really good process for me to go through through the years because um, I realized as a mother, you know, what if something happens to another one of my children? But I've learned so much more since this happened and that you, you really can't fear anything. You just have to let life's going to happen, whether you're fearing it or not. And why not just love every day and love every, everything you can love and not fear it losing it because um, I had to learn to let go, uh, take my finger, my grips, my heart, my strong grips off of everything and start letting it go and not hold on so tight. And um, things that have helped me through the years too were like this, I started listening to a lot of near-death experiences on YouTube. And I think Anita Morjani is my very favorite. She, I wrote, I wrote her, read her book and that she wrote and it was just it just soothed my heart so much to know what it was like for them on the other side when they went to the other side because I, I could picture Vanessa then and they all had the same story. So I just thought, okay, this is it. This is what they go through. And it's so wonderful on the other side. And, you know, for Abraham Hicks and she says like, why do you, why do you earthling people are so afraid of what you call death? It's just this thin veil between this life and the next. And it's just, you know, it's not a big thing. <laughs> And so I started listening to a lot of really good speakers through the years and that really have helped me. And um, that's, I think I just keep, I kept searching for, for help in that way. And that's really, really been helpful. And then, you know, I, I kept going back to college. I went back to college that fall and it was really hard because on the campus, I would be in a certain place like, oh my gosh, this is where Vinny and Vanessa would meet every Wednesday. Oh my gosh, I can't deal with this. Or this is where, you know, Vanessa and I did this on the campus, you know, and it was really hard to, you know, be in those same places again at first. And, but like in English class, like I was able to write about Vanessa. I was able to do things like that that were really cathartic. And in fact, like something I've been realizing more recently because I live in a complex with other seniors I realized that when I see another lady lose her daughter or a child that lives here, um, I realized something really cool to do was I invited this one lady over. I said, why don't you come over? And on one day I will introduce you to my daughter and I'll show you pictures and tell you all about her. And then the next time I'll go to your house and you tell me all about your daughter and show me pictures and we will just revel in your daughter. So I thought that would be really cathartic because then it's like you want somebody to know who you know that was beloved to you. And I thought that would be so cool to, to do that with somebody else who's gone through a loss similar to yours. And just to, cause you want somebody to, to 
validate your knowledge of this wonderful person who lived on the earth. <laughs> and I, and you know, everything that people do like ceremonies on, on the child's birthday or their loved one's birthdays or going to the grave and doing anything that is meaningful to you, maybe it's where they spread their ashes, whatever it was that you did or do, it really, really helps. And I didn't really know that until Vanessa died. And I really love that part of, of going forward because it really memorializing her in that way really, really helps her brothers and all her loved ones. And I, and we get together like every time the, the anniversary of her death, but we get together when it's her birthday. So twice a year, uh, we get together with anyone who can come. I just make a big meal and we go to the graveyard. We lay down tapestries. Her brothers bring out their guitars. We read her poetry. <laughs> we do all those things and that really, really, really helps. I can't tell you how much that has helped. Those little ceremonies we do or whatever we do on the spot, you know. I have I have been lucky enough to attend those a few times, always in the summer. And, and I do think it's just, your family to me is just this beautiful bustling kind of constellation of aliveness and to have that at Vanessa's grave and see, you know, when I've been there and I've looked around and just seen her now nieces and nephews, brothers and their wives or girlfriends read and then reads kids and just looking at the ways that she is still connected because you were all here and celebrating. I've always been so in awe of that part of her legacy. And you said something earlier that is, it's one of those really simple ideas, but I just want to circle back to it because it's like the simplest and the hardest and the most important thing. And you said, you can't live life in fear that we could all always lose everything. And what better reason than that, than to love who's in front of you than to live as fully and I, I love that you touched on that at first you were really grasping because I definitely understand that. I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling of wanting to hold on. You were talking about, you know, after she passed at first, I thought you were going to say, I saw the leaves falling and I felt this sense of transition. But then you said, oh my gosh, you know, what if, what if Vanessa's like memory is falling and being swept away too? And I, I, re I remember that because I think we still have that. Weirdly, I, the other day, I was remembering, I saw this quote once that said, every seven years, your cells have completely regenerated. And, and I thought that the other day and thought, oh my gosh, so in a couple months, in seven, in that, it'll be seven years since my mom passed. And it's like, I have a new body. Like she didn't even know this version of me. And I felt this weird, like, wait, no skin, like stay on my body. Don't move. And, and, you know, I'm 30, I'm, I'm almost 36 years old. Like this doesn't logically make sense, but I do think that we as very human people have this like wanting to hold on. And so Cindy, I just appreciate that you're, you're dancing between what I guess I consider the human part of you, <laughs> the uh, finite, you know, we want to like hold people in a hug part of us and this sort of like zoom out perspective, looking at the greater legacy in life and I know that you were going into some things that have really helped you since, helped you move. I don't want to say move on because I do hold, I, for me, like language is everything. And 
I really, in this podcast series, in everything I create and in life, I, I think I might spend a lot of time in the difficulty just because kind of like we are talking about in order to find grace, we have to dive into the darkness. So I don't like to say you moved on, everything's great. And like, I do think Cindy, everything I know of you is like bubbly and light and just illuminating effervescence. Great. And I acknowledge and assume it's not so hard, right? Like you were saying, the grief still comes up and um, yeah. So just that it's everything. This is a very long winded way for me to ask. When we, we were talking about how you thought this would change your life, when you look back now at the last 14 years, how did it change your life? Her passing changed my life radically because I lived my life what right, kind of right was right in front of me. And now I had to learn to live life stepping two steps back and looking at the bigger picture. Like you said, I had to start seeing there's a bigger purge picture here it's not just the end that when someone goes you know dies it's not the end and and I started really like expanding my whole view of what I used to believe what was my foundation before and it all kind of like all came undone and I had to like restructure like how I looked at everything which was just wonderful I love it I I um how can I explain it I see life so different now I see life in as such a bigger, and, and there are times when still life throws you a blow, you know, cause that's part of life. And, and then um, it, it's funny cause when the blow comes, I'll think about my sorrow for Vanessa at the same time, you know, like it'll bring in all the other sorrow, you know, it'll bring in other griefs you have. And, um, but then I, I, I remember, you know, I remember what, what did I learn? And I stepped back two steps back, took a bigger look at the bigger picture and it really, really helps me. And I really believe there's so much, I believe in angels that are around us helping us through these things. I believe there's so much help in this world. I don't feel like we're alone at all. I believe that we're just surrounded by so much help from the other side. And I believe that Vanessa's on the other side um, being with all of us too. And I actually went to like these different expos and there was healers there, but I thought, oh, I'd love to talk to a healer about healing my knees or something. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know they were a psychic. And they say, they tell me things like that the Vanessa's, that my daughter and my father are, are want me to know they're with me. And out of the blue, things like that. I mean, I just get knocked off my shoes. I just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, I cry, you know. And once I was at, at um, working at Whole Foods, it was three months after Vanessa passed. And that for the whole week, for some reason, my grief that week was, I kept crying to Vanessa saying, I just want to know you're all right. I kept saying that every day in my own bedroom and by, own, by my own self. And I went to work one day and this lady comes through this other line. I was bagging in this other line and she looks at me and she says, I think you need a hug. And I somehow never saw this woman before, but I thought she somehow knows about Vanessa. I don't know how, but she knows. And she gives me this big, long hug. And I felt all this energy pass between us. And then she steps back and she says, Vanessa wants you to know she is all right. And I just about, I just had a, I had, I had a flea. I had to go to the side of the building and cry. I was just blown away because <laughs> I kept crying that whole week. Vanessa, are you all right? And then this, this total stranger comes and tells me that Vanessa just wants you to know she's all right. So it's happened like that several times. 
Anyway, another thing that we go through, I know you've mentioned this, these things, I think, too, in some of your um, talks, is that we go through regrets. And every person that was close to Vanessa had these regrets. And even five different people thought it was their fault that she died. If I hadn't been over here, this wouldn't have happened over there. And uh, if I hadn't said this, she wouldn't have done that, you know. And so there's those regrets we have sometimes that are important to kind of get past and to realize that they're bogus. They're not valid because on the other side, that person is just in a state of love, understanding, and they held nothing against you. They're in so much happiness and joy. and they have left behind any kind of things, angst they might have had from, from your life that you've done. It's interesting because as you were talking about that, about the tendency that we all have to think back to our last interaction or even choices we made, you know, the way we had set up a life when this person passed away or what could I have done differently? To me, it's interesting because it's kind of the flip side of the constant worry of being insignificant, that both can be true, that you can feel very powerful. Like, oh my goodness, I did this thing. If I hadn't done this thing, if I had answered this call, if I hadn't moved away, if I, I guess the, the fact that we look at these regrets as having power just shows how much, how connected we are. And even though I, you know, maybe five of us thought if we hadn't done this, you know, this and this, she would have died. No, no, she was supposed to die that day, that moment. And it just was what it was. And we were all supposed to go through this. And so that the regret thing, I think, is, is, really, is really important to get rid of and to have a better perspective on because that'll weigh you down. Instead of, instead of like lifting up in the grace, they, they want you to be so happy and joyful for them. And they want you to go on in life light and in the light. And they don't want you to be bogged down by these guilty, regretful feelings. <laughs> they really don't want that. <laughs> Something else I wanted to point out that you said I think is really important. You were talking about the moment you had with the woman when she came up to you and said, Vanessa wants you to know she's okay. And the sort of serendipitous moments that you've had since. I also can't help but say, Cindy, and this is both from knowing you, listening to you in this moment, and listening to the story as it happened, that you also are turned towards the light. You're willing and you're open to those moments. And I'm not trying to shame anyone who might not be. I think we all have seasons of suffering or darkness or depression. And when we're able to just open our eyes wide enough to accept that maybe, A, we can get past this which even though in some ways it's like, yeah, of course you have to, life goes on, but it's like, there's this kind of block, right? When you feel like you're not going to, or that there could be this bigger picture of things going on that a lot of it is, is opening ourselves to that and turning toward it and being willing to see magic and willing to have just the tiniest little bit of hope and light. And I've always seen that in you. That's why I'm, I'm just so drawn to it. And I guess I'm bringing it up to say, that it's sort of one of the qualifiers for life getting better is being willing to open to that, being willing to look for signs, you know, because someone else could have been hugged by a woman at work and just thought, well, that was total BS. That's crazy. You know, it didn't mean anything, whatever, move on. But you are like, you know, there's like a gateway to magic, I guess we could say it's open. So 
I think that's important. Um, if we were to look back, you, you visited this in a few different ways. If there's anything you wanted to add, if you were to look back at the last years of your life and the journey that you've been on, what things have helped you on that journey? It sounds like one is, you know, visiting stories of people who have passed away and then come back and being reassured by the fact that they found beauty and light and hope. What other tools or actions or people or practices have been important in your journey to who you are today? I wanted to say real quick that I did go live in Hawaii for one year of my life because Vanessa told me, she kept saying, mom, you got to go to Hawaii. She says, it's really your kind of place. She says, you have to go. So things like that um, I wanted to do to accomplish because based upon, you know, what she had told me. So I did live in Hawaii for a year. And so I wanted to make sure I just didn't lose my, my joy of living, you know, like, um, going forward and, and and I was kind of afraid of change going going there I was kind of but I kind of I kicked myself out the door I just kind of like go <laughs> just go <laughs> and um and then like I listened to Matt Kahn a lot too he's one of my favorite gurus and then I listened to the medical medium and I love things about health and and wellness but he also talks a lot about how the, these angels are here to help us on the earth and so like the whole world has become this animation for me of like I believe in fairies again I believe in all these things that <laughs> I just believe this world has just opened up to me in this magnificent way that I just see now and nature affects me so much more than it used to it just kind of draws me into it so deeply and kind of takes me away and I it's like magical it's really magical to me and so staying in nature is really important and um Vanessa and Jordan and I went to live in Costa Rica in 2003 and we lived there for seven months and it was just so wonderful. And I remember Vanessa and Jordan were fearless. Like when we went to the jungle, they were just like, they became one with the jungle. And I don't, I didn't, I just couldn't understand it because I thought the jungle was full of poisonous snakes, you know, leopards and things that are poison dart frogs and things that are going to kill you. <laughs> And, my, and Vanessa said, Mom, the jungle is love. <laughs> and I never forgot that. I feel like that is so in the vein of turning toward beauty and magic. Just the same jungle existed, you know, for everyone. But Vanessa and Jordan were like, this is fantastic and magical and it's safe. Don't worry. And, you know, something you said earlier, how it's like, life is what life is. And we can either hold on like this, and I'm doing like a clenched hand for those that are listening, or we can embrace it. I love that. I love that. So turning toward magic, opening your eyes to nature. I just want to circle back. You said you moved to Hawaii. I remember that. And, and I think it's really easy when I'm listening to a podcast or a story to be like, oh, she moved to Hawaii. But moving is a very big thing. It's very disorienting. You have a big, wonderful, bustling family. You had every reason to just after that, like hold on, like with fingernails clenched into each of your boys, like don't any of you do anything that could put you in danger ever again. Stay close to me. You, you moved to Hawaii after that. Like you see fairies in nature. I just, I don't know. I just want to like magnify, which I just think is fantastic. I just love to wander through each day and just, just 
embrace what's in front of me. Um, learning to live in the present is something I hadn't really learned to do very much in my life. But I, I was always, I am a goals, I'm kind of a goal person. I like to set goals and meet them. And, and now that I'm retired, it's really fun to just kind of like, I'm just going to wander through this day and just whatever happens, I'm going to look for the magic in it, you know? So, um, but I know that right now with what the world's going through, um, I think it's going to be maybe like going through a death um, of a loved one first. And I, when, when I listen to people, they always say, these gurus I listen to on the radio or whatever, they say, you have to be willing to go through the sorrow, the darkness. You have to look at it. And I've learned to look at my feelings, but my feelings, I used to just try to suppress them and go on. I try to look at them. Why am I feeling this anxiety? What, where is this coming from? And now what, let me look at it. Let me feel it. Let me go through it. And it's easier said than done, but I'm learning to do that more. And and so this time on the earth, I just hope we all go through this together, look at what, we've, what we need to look at, and then come out on the other side, and hopefully we'll have more awakenings <laughs> on the earth. I'm kind of really hopeful at this point for everything, you know, that's going on. And that's, Cindy, that is exactly why I'm talking to you right now, because there is a lot of heartache right now. There is a lot of very measurable grief and measurable, not great circumstances, right? If we, I like to always come back to that life is neutral. It's often, it's our stories and our thoughts and the things we assign to events that make them good or bad. But there are some things that one could objectively look at and say, Melissa, that's bad. You know, that's people are losing their lives. People are losing their income. People are very afraid. And like you said, if we're willing to face that, right, as a collective, this is something that's happening across the world, and be there and be of use in whatever way we can. You mentioned prayer, and I think prayer is really powerful. I think that those of us who can, doing what we can, and and ultimately, you know, you you just mentioned, we are collectively grieving what was, whatever is actually happening, it's a new world we're living in. And rather than grasping, you know, fingernails deep into what we had and trying to bring it back, whatever that means, whether it's economically or personally or nationally or globally, but instead, you know, feeling the deep pain of, of letting go of what was and then turning toward, uh, you know, well, what, what about, you know, having our eyes open to an awakening, having our, having our eyes open to a collective change. And um, yeah, I just think that that's a, a complete possibility. And I think there are so many different ways, you know, we are all as unique as snowflakes falling from the sky. But with that, um, I think we all have the potential to overcome great difficulty and, and great tragedy. And Speaking of which, something I wanted to ask to kind of round out our interview is if you were to pick up the phone and on the other end was you on June 25th, 2006, and you had just found out that your world had changed, what would you say to that version of Cindy? How would you comfort her? I would tell her that 
your eyes are going to be opened more than they've ever opened open before. You're going to see life in a whole new way. It's going to be an, this is an opening for you. This is, um, this is going to change your life for the better. You and all the people who knew Vanessa, this is going to change all of you for the better. And you're going to go forth in life in a newer way that is so better and so much more expanded and open. And just know that you're never alone. You're surrounded by loving angels and source and light and, and don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid to go forward and just put one step in front of each other. Don't be afraid to feel, feel the sorrow. Don't feel, be afraid to feel all the things being human makes you feel and don't judge yourself for it and don't expect anything from yourself to be better than that. Just, just go through it, embrace it, embrace yourself because this is part of your process of your life that was meant to be. And, you know, that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> As you were talking, I mean, I guess that's part of why I thought of that question before I talked to you, because I knew I would have this feeling. But as you were talking, I was just imagining you almost like embracing that version of yourself. I think it's a really compassionate way to kind of, I I often think of us like these Russian dolls, you know, those dolls that like inside this version of me, there's like a previous version. And then inside her, there's a previous version and these actual layers we go through as we live life. And to kind of take one of those versions out and just be compassionate and comforting and kind of like you have no idea how you're going, how strong you are. And, and I'm so sorry, right? Like it is going to be hard. You can do hard things. And as you were talking, what I've been meaning to say this entire sentence is all of us need to hear that right now. It's okay to be afraid. You know, don't judge yourself for any of the things that you're feeling. Don't be afraid of the fear and you're stronger than you think. And I just think you have such a powerful, powerful story and so beautifully put. And it is because of what you've lived through. All of it is here. Every Russian doll, right, is inside of us and inside of you right now. So thank you so much for your time. I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you, Melissa. And I thank you for wanting to do this interview. I cherish it. So you guys, I have to interrupt our interview right here because Cindy and I actually went on to talk and catch up for another 45 minutes. And she was really gracious. At the end, she decided to read a poem of Vanessa's out loud on our recording. So I'm going to play Cindy reading Vanessa's poetry. I want to fly away is the name of this poem. Why do I want to go? I am part of the world, this world, you know. There are too many lies that people can't hide. I want to feel safe where I can abide, to be set free from the world I see. Something that I feel there is a place where we all are one race. There won't be a time that exists, for in this place, complete happiness sprays with a mist. I want freedom from pain. I am not alone, but not insane. I do have a name from where I came. I want to stand naked in the rain with no shame to blame. This isn't the place where I came. It's all changed. Peace is my view for everything that's true. Angels from heaven are here for you. Carry me under your wings, envious of all things. Love is the song over the wrong. Banished away into the night, 
everything's out of sight. Happiness is a gift, always giving a lift. Pouring out with joy. Love is a song over the wrong. I, I really like that. And she wrote it twice. Love is a song over the wrong. Because I feel like it sort of, yeah. it almost encapsulates everything we just talked about in our entire interview, that there is a lot wrong, there is a lot of hurt, and love is a song that can cover all of it. Thank you so much. If you liked what you heard today, please pass this podcast along to someone you know who would benefit. It would also be awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It's how we attract new guests, reach more people, and ultimately change the world. I mean, imagine what kind of world we'd live in if everyone was doing something they actually wanted to do with their life. Speaking of which, if you want help finding purpose or figuring out what the heck to do with your life, hit me up. It's what I do as a coach. Introduce you to your highest, clearest, and most badass brave self. I promise that's the version of you the world most needs. If you're interested in coaching, would like to join my email list, or if you know someone who'd be a great guest on this podcast, shoot me an email at followyourfire at gmail.com. That's followyourfire at gmail.com. Until next time, follow those fires, my peaches. Thank you.